Hello, nurse. This is Wacko. Yacko. From Animaniacs, and we'd love to stay and talk to you, but I've got a party emergency. You stay right here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. See you later. Good night, everybody. How's that? We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Yeah, I couldn't get the mute button to work. <laughs> From the hot humid, sulfur, slimy, Venetian sulfur boil massage parlor next to the underground peekaboo pachinko parlor and snack bar in Area 51. Welcome to TalkCast 355, this edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I'm your host, The Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight, the rest of the gang in the Peabody Time Tumble, our technical radical, so the sometimes violent virtuoso. Tonight in the nap room, it's Kriana. Mm-hmm. From the stacks of her quiet place in the Dank Dungeons Manuscript Conservancy, with her advanced degree from the College of Cyborg University at Fresno, welcome Zombrarian. Actually, they let me outside to, today because I was playing with acid and no one wanted it on the new flooring. And, okay, that kind of begs the question, why were you playing with acid? Because the children needed to learn. <laughs> and that in itself is a scary proposition joining us later on in the program will be our own futurist and gamer the guy who likes really shiny stuff awake by java and joining us now is our guest uh a writer who is a very good writer and a very interesting writer and a very new writer uh this will be her very first time on sci-fi saturday night Ryan Strong. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. There you go. <laughs> I thought we'd lost you for a minute. So, Ryan, tell us a little bit about how long you've been writing and the kind of stuff that you write. Um, by writing, you mean like how long have I been making up stories or like trying to publish things? Because well, kind I've of a little bit of both. I've been making up stories, like, since I was little, because I remember doing them in, like, middle school. I would, like, write little stories with my friends during lunch. But um, uh, I've only been trying to publish things, like, as a professional writer, since about maybe, like, three years or so. So I'm very, I'm very new at that part of it. But it was always my plan. Like I went to, I went to college for like English so that I could just practice writing, which was not. It was way less helpful than just being in a writers group. And one so, of the first writers groups we're in was with a very good friend of the show, Stacy Longo. Yes, she actually helped helped me. She guided me a lot in finding like avenues and like shaping actually the quality of my work and like things to try and focus on to make my writing better so she shapes me as a writer and i'm eternally grateful very cool um one of the things that uh we hear and not just from new writers uh some from very established writers is that the whole idea of a writing group seems to really help them in more ways than they thought before they were into it it, it, was this the case with you, and, and what did that group do for you? Um, it was definitely the case with the, the current writers group that I'm in now, but I had actually been in two before it. And, like, it's 
it's kind of like magic when you get the right group of people because then they encourage you to stay focused and keep trying to work on things. And then with our group, we look at each other's work together and we like, we have like a little group discussion and feedback. And so you can see the parts that, you know, were better or like parts that were kind of slacking. And usually the parts that I feel like I, you know, like kind of just threw in there cause I wasn't really ready for like, usually everybody else feels that way too. So you get that confirmation, but like in earlier writers groups, they were just people that, I don't know, they were not interested in helping each other. So I'm very lucky to have a group that does that for me now. So when you, now you're, you're, you're in the process of, uh, some of your works have been published. Uh, the most recent one was a short story in Tricks and Treats, a collection of spooky stories by Connecticut authors. And the name of the story in there was, I've lost it. What was the name? I actually had two stories in there. One of them was, oh, not my favorite. Um, Well, the, the one that I really like was Sophie. It was kind of a ghost story. And then... I can't think of the other name. The other one was Halloween Hubris. That's what it was. Yes, that one. (laughs) I wrote I wrote that one first, and then like I came like I I wrote that one so long ago that it's it's much in the past for me at all. So tell me about the short story, Sophie. What's that about? Um. Well, it's a uh, it's about this girl that's told from like a teenage girl's point of view, and she lives in this apartment building, which was remodeled from an old factory. Which, like, I grew up in. I grew up in Willimantic, and then I lived in. Uh, then I live in Norwich now, which are both like they used to be mill towns. So there's all these old mill factories and the apartment building that I live in is actually a remodeled mill which inspired the story but anyway so Sophie is told from the perspective of a teenage girl that like moved into one of these apartment buildings with her mother and she comes across this little girl and she sees her a couple of times in the hallway and they kind of start to make friends with, with each other and she never sees adults around her so she feels a little bit protective and she starts hanging out with her and then um, near the end of the story, she finds out that the little girl has been a ghost the whole time. Oh. So what was it about horror stories and ghost stories and spooky stories that speaks to you that makes you want to write about them? The funny part about that is that I never intended to write scary stories because oh. I actually, <laughs> since I was little, like I just have, like when I sleep, like if I don't have background noise, I just have nightmares. So I wasn't at all interested in writing scary stories. So I have like this stuff in the background of my mind. So I had, I had the thought that I would keep myself away from that with writing. But once I gave into it, <laughs> I found that it was just easier to just pull, I don't know, inspiration from, I guess, what's running through my head all the time. Well, that kind of makes sense, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just stop swimming upstream, I guess. <laughs> and go with the flow. Well, when uh, Stacy uh, spoke to me, uh, Stacy is working on me uh, with... Uh, the volume two of my peculiar family. And she said to me during one of our discussions, you know, Ryan would be a really, really good addition to this book. And she sent me uh, a short story of yours and I just kind of went, yep, done. Uh, (laughs) And it was frankly as simple as that. So what, you know, what made you decide to want to do this anthology? Um, well, I like the idea like that for the prompt, you get 
a picture and then you have to make up a life for this person because it's kind of, it's an adaptation of, I don't know what everyone calls it, but my friends like around here call it people watching where you just, you know, like you see a random person and you kind of figure out what their deal is. And it doesn't matter if it's right or not. <laughs> You're just amusing each other. And so it's kind of like the, the short story version of that. And so that was what was really intriguing for me about it. So when you got the picture and the person's name, and the one thing that's different about this one is that there is a holiday that you somehow have to incorporate into the story as well. And what was the holiday that you had for this? I had the Marine Corps birthday party. <laughs> the Marine Corps birthday. Not a well-known holiday by any stretch of the imagination. And you had yeah, to I, work that. Go ahead. I No, uh, I didn't even know that that existed. I had to look it up. But apparently for like over 100 years, people have been celebrating this almost. Some people, yes. <laughs> Not not a lot of people that you would think of, but yes, some people have been. And then you got sent the the picture, and the character's name is Chauncey Thomas. Yeah. What did you? Uh, it's an interesting picture too, isn't it? Um, I thought he looked kind of pouty, and I'm happy, so I worked that in. <laughs> you know, he just doesn't look clean. He doesn't look like a lot of pictures that you see from the old times. So make sure that, you know, like the person looks like really stately and like has command of the entire world that they're looking at them. They have that look. But this picture didn't have that. He just kind of looked, and he's looking off to the side too. So it's kind of not shame, but I don't know. I So I, I got from that that he should be displeased. So he's the unhappy one in my story. <laughs> <laughs> So what what was your process of putting this together? Did you how how did you figure out where you wanted it to go and what you wanted it to do? I don't know. I just kind of I brought like I you know took a picture from the email which I can look at from my phone and I just kind of looked at it like frequently throughout the day to just so I guess I drew whatever was happening with me during the day and. I just drew it into the picture, I guess. Like, I just... It's complicated to describe. I'm sorry. No, like, that's you okay. You know how your, your brain just, like, goes through stuff and, like, it reworks, like, your experiences that you've had in the day. It runs it through your mind. Like, I kept looking yeah. at the picture to, like, draw the picture into that. <laughs> so, and then... Um, the other character in my story, <laughs> um, the attitude of the other person is inspired by something that I had to deal with during that time. And so it was kind of well, there you cathartic. Go. <laughs> it was kind of cathartic to be able to have the story deal with that. <laughs> so overall, are you, are you happy with what you came up with for this, uh, for this anthology? Yes. Um, the thing about writing with me is that, like, I do it and that I write it. And then, like, I step away from it, which is it's something that a lot of people do, is, like, you step away from it, you give it, like, a, you know, a couple days or a week where you don't think about it at all, and then you come back to it. And when I came back to it, I was like, wow. <laughs> and so I just kind of made it fancier, here. And I, I I think that it's one of my strongest stories so far. There you go. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, uh, about three quarters of the stories are, are done and going into edit now. And uh, I, I'm so happy that you're a part of this process and so happy that you're going to be a, a part of the anthology. I'm happy I can be a part of it too. Like I, when I, when Cynthia told me about like the general idea of how it was that I would get a picture, and like she said last time they got a job, I think. So I, right. I read the other anthology, and then I was like, oh, this is really cool. And I was, I was really excited after that to be, you know, a part of the next one that that I was already had agreed to do. So that was exciting for me.
It's wonderful. Uh, My Peculiar Family Volume 2 is the next book that you're going to be in. You, and you don't really have anything else going on at the moment? Um, yeah, in terms of stories that have been accepted to places, that's my next thing. Well, we but are do, happy to have do, you. Go ahead. I do a side thing under under my other identity as Terry George, but I'm just an artist, um, is that I illustrated um, for actually one of Stacy's books that's coming out. She wrote My Sister the Zombie. I'm not sure which publisher it was going to be under, but I illustrated like um, chapter pictures for that, which is really cool. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Oh, My Sister is a Zombie, is that the one? My Sister is uh, a Zombie, yes. yes. Yeah, uh, I've been waiting for that book for so long. <laughs> Uh, so good! I love that story. I was, I was, I was so like I. We had been doing readings for um, tricks and treats to promote that, and then she was talking about it, and I was like, "Oh, you should make that one. You know, you should, you know, illustrate that one." And because we were talking about graphic novels, mm-hmm. and she she didn't want to make it a graphic novel, <laughs> but she's like, "But well, you could do chapter illustrations," and I was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> I'd be glad to." That's great. That's terrific. Is there some place where we can see your illustrations as well, or are you working on a, a website to, to kind of show them off and stuff? Yes, those will definitely be featured prominently on cinnamonbunny.com. But right now, places that you could see my illustrations, like I have a children's book that I put out under Terry George, which is called Sasha and Jake. That's available on Amazon right now. That was published last year um, on Farmer's Daughter Press. But that's that's like a, a kid's book about friendship. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's fun stuff. And uh, anyhow, I am very happy to have you with us. And, uh, well, I spelled that horribly wrong. <laughs> Never talk and type at the same time. It's just a bad idea. Yeah, I can. Anyhow, (laughs) (laughs) Ryan, thank you for joining us for a few minutes tonight. And thank you even more for being a part of uh, volume two of My Peculiar Family. You're very, very welcome. And now, with any luck, the news. Brianna. <laughs> I think Whoa. she also made it. That, that was not good. <laughs> but it was Holy better sh- than not having. Java, you're here. Welcome. Actually, that was the best thing that's ever happened. Admit it. Okay. That, it, it that's actually... what I meant. <laughs> You that's sound like you're talking. That's why it's holy. talking through through a uh, through a dryer. Through a dryer. Yeah, you sound very tinny and away. Okay, I will you're, fix that. Your, your basso profundo is not where it usually is, and neither is the tone of your voice. In any case, uh, so what's going on this week in the news that we want to talk about? No, there's a couple of things we don't want to talk about. Let's talk about the things uh, we don't want to talk about first. Okay. Uh, two notable deaths this week uh, of very wonderful uh, people. Martin Landau, who is 91, uh, died this week of uh, being 91 and having a marvelous, amazing run. Uh, and also this week... George Romero died, which is very... Or uh, did he? Well, he, he may, in fact, now be a zombie. Uh, like, that's all we can hope for for him, really. I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, it's been... Uh, that's much better, thank you. Okay. Yeah, 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 Absolutely.
So we, we were talking about George Romero and uh, Martin Landau. Yeah. And Actually, whether or not they're zombies. They probably are. Specifically, I know that people are camping out um, at George Romero's grave to pay the respects with shotguns. Oh. <laughs> That's the sweetest and most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I know. It kind of is good enough to make it work. Yeah. And, uh, would I ever tell you the story of the first time I saw Night of the Living Dead? I don't know. Did you? I may have. I was, I think, 17. And as most 17-year-olds do when they go to the movies, uh, we, we involved ourselves in a little bit of alcohol prior to it and then had to walk home. <laughs> and it was horrifying. That's a sweet uh, story. Thanks. I kind of liked it. But uh, his, his work, Romero's work has seriously affected a generation uh, that, you know, we've gotten to the point where zombies are pretty much part of everything or most things or some things or stuff. So, yeah. Um, Night of the Living Dead I, is actually my very first horror movie. Wow. Yep. Unless you count um, Fantasia and <laughs> Hook, which I kind of, or um, or Never Ending Story as a horror movie. I think but Fantasia you, makes it as one. Okay, then, then Night of the Living Dead was my second horror movie. Um, but my eighth grade English teacher played it for us. On one of those days that teachers get where they're just like, here, watch a movie, watch be quiet. <laughs> um, I've got a headache, everybody sit and watch a movie. Yeah, so I saw the first 50 minutes, and I was obsessed from then on. I was so mad when I found out that the black guy dies at the end. <laughs> I was really mad. Yeah, well, you kind of figured, you know, in the grand tradition of Joss Whedon... You can kill off anyone eventually. And in fact, they did. Indeed, they did. They did. And that led to my college minor in, in horror movies that I forgot to declare. So it's not on my transcript, but I have enough credits <laughs> to have a minor in horror movies. I don't think going to the cinema... Every Friday for four years to watch horror movies counts as a minor. Although no, legit, I took enough classes to minor in horror movies. <laughs> well, to have so, a film minor with a focus in horror. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, so Martin Landau did some incredibly wide-ranging stuff. Um got a favorite role or movie for Martin Landau? Um, oh, that's hard. There's so many of them. I mean, Cleopatra, but like, that's not because of him. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Just... Just going to put that out there. Admit Elizabeth that, Taylor. yeah. How about Space Freddy? 1999, which was kind of an interesting... I think that ran for like three seasons, two seasons. Just a very weird British sci-fi series. I never saw it. Really? Nope. I mean, he was in The X-Files a number of times. But I think my favorite ends up having to be Ed Wood. I liked Frank and Weenie. The, um, <laughs> and, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for creators who, who have the kind of careers that Martin Landau and, you know, George Romero have. Um, there's, I think that, I think that they really did, especially George Romero. 
um, make a huge impact on a world that needed those stories to be told. Yes. And there's still there are still people who are telling stories just like that today, like Game of Thrones. Oh God. Oh wow. Well, well done transition. That I'm gonna take points off for. I'm gonna take a saying. lot of points off for the fact that. Okay. You compared Game of Thrones to George Romero. No, no, you're right. Okay, I can do better. Hold on, wait a second. Okay. Uh, okay, go ahead. That need to be told, um, and have and, and and just like uh, Martin Landau and George Romero, some people are are ending their storytelling uh, time, like. Um, Stephen Moffat with Doctor Who. Okay, that was better. And, and, that was a better and, one. And, you know, we should applaud all of the wonderful things that Stephen Moffat did while at the same time being super excited for the people who are coming after. <laughs> right? <laughs> because yeah, Stephen I, Moffat, I will, I will say, you know, his standalone episodes... Are amazing. I, he didn't do well with arcs. Yeah. Okay. Because I was so excited when he took over, but he really he does well for single episodes, and I wish that he hadn't tried to continue the Russell T Davies. Let's make everything a complicated story arc thing. Because I think he would have done better. Well, the, I think that the problem was he he ran out of stuff. He was recycling stories and, and situations, and even the last episodes, which were fantastic, were not fantastic because of the story writing or the no. or the setup. They were fantastic because of the acting. Yeah, the actors did a fantastic job. Missy, the doctor, that was great. So, so well, that that's how it ended. Let's do. You know, we can just say good job. He ended on a high note, absolutely. And then, and and now we can be super excited for Jodie Whittaker. Yes, because people have wanted a female spoilers, doctor for a long spoilers, time. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. Female doctor spoilers. Female doctor spoilers. <laughs> um, and be people have it. been saying for a long time. You know what would be cool. We know that that the doctor could reincarnate as a female. That would be really cool. That would be awesome. That would be interesting. And now they're actually going to do it. Yay! And, and let's be clear here. Moffat was the one who introduced that idea. He did that. Yes. Right. He did he do did. that. Right. So he gave With us all you know, of his doctors, despite his race yeah. and change gender. That all came from him. It's true. Despite his incredibly problematic writing of women. Granted. Yeah. So I am I am happy that they kind of are ushering in a new showrunner and um, a new doctor at the same time. And I guess they're going to introduce her uh, for the Christmas special, which, which makes sense. That's that's what's um, that's how they introduced David Tennant, right? Wasn't it? It was in the Christmas Christmas special. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. That was a Christmas episode. So it, it's it it has all the markings of being a wonderfully different transition and a wonderful uh just just a wonderful idea whose time has come and you know i've got to say and and we talked about this a little bit before the show the reactions uh, uh of the fringe have just been ridiculous you know the reactions that start with you can't have a female doctor because and then Come up with some stupid little answer. Guys, uh, first of all, it's science fiction. <laughs> and second of all, 
She's an amazing actress. Give her a chance because I think it's going to be absolutely wonderful and take this series into a new, fresh series of ideas and adventures. And I can't wait. Honestly, honestly, one of the best things that they can do is to not make it new and fresh. But to start off, like we did, you know, with the doctors that got an initial good reaction, this is the doctor. See how right. see how Jodie Whittaker is the doctor? She's got all the same things the doctor has, you know, deep personal issues, a, a, a penchant for hope and, you know, difficulty in understanding these funny little humans that they're, that they, you know, he, he interacts with and cares for. So it would be really good if they didn't do anything that was too like outside of the, the, the doctor. Right. Off until, the bat. until, until all those idiots on Facebook Stop squawking <laughs> and just accept that the doctor is a female now and is still awesome. Like and it's still just, going to be awesome, absolutely. Yeah, and that's and that and that's going to come down to writing. It's going to come down to acting. I mean, I could list for you all my favorite doctors, and those that list is going to be different than almost every other Who fan out there. And that's just a part of it. So, you know, I, by the end of Peter Capaldi's run, I was, I was completely bought into him as the doctor, um, just the same way I was with Matt Smith and David Tennant and, you know, all the classic who's as I've been gruelingly w- making my, my way through classic who. Where are you at now with them, by the way? <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, that's not a good a sign. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think it's important to remember that uh, you know this is this is an endearing structure that is going to continue moving onward and forward, and this does not topple the tower; it strengthens it. And I am so so looking forward to this year's Christmas special. Is it and, is it cold yet? Oh, sorry. I mean. <laughs> Let's just, at the same time, you know, I, I, I want to say, I do have reservations. I have never seen her act in anything. I, I haven't Oh, she was it. in Broadchurch. It was wonderful yeah. in Broadchurch. I still haven't seen it. People that I know and trust are saying that this is a good thing, so I, I'm optimistic about it. But it could tank. It could, right? Who is yeah, that? absolutely. And, this, this is what we've learned from, you know, Moffat's run. Who is not always going to be good just because it's who? Right. So I'm... I'm well, see, and I could say that about the entire Matt Smith run, but I would get a lot of argument about it because it's individual taste. It's how right. we react to the actor, to the showrunner, and to the writing of any particular doctor at any particular time. And Matt Smith never made my cup of tea work. Uh, you know, David Tennant? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Peter Capaldi? Uh-huh. Although he had his off moments, too. I mean, in the first four or five episodes, we all kind of had to get used to this curmudgeonly doctor that didn't really seem to care until his character developed, and quite nicely over time. Yep. Yeah, I know. I, I just talked us into a corner. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Uh, so, so let's let's be happy and enthusiastic and ready. And mm-hmm. another thing that I think I'm ready for is uh, the new Blade Runner movie. Uh, I've seen, I think two trailers for it so far and a lot of stills. The new trailer uh, came out this morning with uh, Gosling and Ford and uh, it's quite good. Uh, And if we believe for a minute that this is a movie where the best 40 seconds are not in the trailer and everything else is garbage, then I think we're in for a really good movie. I think so too. 
I, I'm ready to see part two of Blade Runner. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. It also seems like it's been a long time since we saw Game of Thrones. And yeah, yeah. Now, so what, now we what, what was now your we take? can see it. Well, did you see? Um, did you see episode first, one of season seven? Did I did? I am in the fantasy uh, Game of Thrones pool with my friends. I have Cersei Lannister. She only netted me five points this past week, but man, I'm telling you, I don't know if she's going to do well at all. The person who did do well was Arya. She uh, she yep. absolutely stole the show in the first five minutes, and then everything else was eh, except for man. Am I so glad that Ed Shireen made it into a Game of Thrones episode? <laughs> I've never heard that song before. It's new. I mean, Thank you, wh Ed. <laughs> what? Why? Why? Why are we doing that? Like, really? Why are we doing that? How? how... <laughs> it was the funniest moment in two seasons. Good lord! I have no I idea just, why they did. I don't know either. And it, and it completely. I, I was I was I was a little angry about it. I was. Really? I'll be honest. I was a little angry about it. Come on, man. Come on. Really? Really? That's where we're going to go mean, with this? Seriously? You know, if, if if every Marvel movie can have a Stan Lee cameo, can't Game of Thrones have an Ed Sheeran cameo? It, that just makes sense to me. In absolutely no way whatsoever. <laughs> I don't I just I didn't think I didn't think that this the scene was redeemable for any reason. And that really bummed me. Like if he, if he had some reason to be there, if if it had led to some kind of character development for Arya instead of her just being a fangirl the whole time, like that's dumb. Give me a it good was, reason. It was, it was kind of a dumb moment. There's no question about it. Um, and I thought the first ten minutes of the show and the last ten minutes of the show were probably the best part of it. Uh, and that's come to be in in the episodic structure uh, their kind of uh, pattern at this point yeah uh, and then there's a whole lot of exposition throughout in which the machinations grow and grow and grow and then you get this really nice last 10 minutes and boom you're done at a point at which you know, when she says, shall we begin? And you just kind of roll the credits and go, no, no, you, no, go back. I, I want to hear more of that. And right. Of course, there was. That's what we've been waiting for the whole time. You know, Daenerys Targaryen is in uh, is, is in Westeros. And now, you know, everybody has to start to deal with the fact that she's here and she's going to mess everything up. Right. So, I mean. That's, I mean That's what I want. It was That's a good episode. Yeah. Definitely a good episode. Speak. And did I just mention... Oh, I did mention Stanley, didn't I? <laughs> you did. You did. Yeah. He, he just got his, uh, his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame this week. He did. And he did. He I'm did. not sure. I'm not sure why. But you realize that uh, those aren't like... Uh, elected or something you actually end up paying for them you buy them which huh. is something i i wasn't aware of really yeah it's one of those kind of deals well that's something Stan is, i think he's like 91 now 91 92 uh he was at boston comic-con last year or the year before and uh he was going through the crowds like uh, carp swimming upstream. It was kind of interesting uh, for somebody who's done that much and has been within the the comic and movie and, and television community for so long doing so many things. He still kind of got it together pretty well. Yeah. The the quote that he said from the. Uh, uh, from the the official putting his hands in the 
concrete kind of deal was, I love what I do. If I had to do anything else, I'd be miserable. Uh, yeah, I kind of get that. So stand for whatever it was. Congratulations uh, on being on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yay! <laughs> Hooray, Stan! Hooray, um, Stan! Agents of Shield season five, uh, which we already knew had been picked up, has been confirmed by ABC with a 2018 start date, which means they're going to go into the second season. Uh, and I guess they're going to stay off at, at the uh, 10 p.m. slot. Yep. Which is probably a better place for it. Who knows? I'm not real sure. Did you kind of give up on that? It went... Uh, Along yeah. the way. Yep. What are we giving up on? Agents of Shield. Oh yeah. I, I didn't I never started watching it. Really? Nope. I was already I was already way out of interest in the uh, Marvel stuff by that point. So nope, didn't watch it at all. No interest whatsoever. Well I gotta <clears throat> I got to admit, I'll do like a, a four episode run, uh, you know, on kind of like a Saturday if there's nothing going on. But uh, yeah, it needs it needs to get something to to hook back. I definitely believe that. And Star Trek Four, which was supposed to be coming out, according to Zachary Quinto, is still being written, so it's mm -hmm. not coming out anytime soon. Um, and as long as uh, the guy with the lens flare isn't directing it, I think it, it should be okay. It may never be great, but I think it will be okay. And to be fair, lens flare did a pretty good, you know, made movies that have repopularized the franchise with a younger generation. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know. I don't, I don't know if it's, hey, kids, get off my lawn kind of curmudgeonly for me to say that, but it, it kind of is, there were so many movies and series that kept the timeline canon that it was ridiculous for me, from my point of view, to step outside it and still continue to call it Star Trek. And they did, and he got away with it, and good for him. And you know who isn't getting away with it is is CBS and Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> well, what they're not getting away with is a paywall. Among other things, yeah. But um, one of the things that they did was, in a series of pictures, uh, stills that they released last month, they showed a picture of the Klingons. And these Klingons are physically very different from any other Klingon species in any other uh, Star Trek series or movie. So uh, the question was, you know, what's the deal with the radically different appearance between the series and any other series and any other movies? Uh, and their showrunner kind of got on Twitter and basically said in every different version of Trek, the Klingons have never been completely consistent. We'll introduce several different houses with different styles. Fans will become more invested in the characters than worried about the redesign. Uh, I don't know if I buy that, but the reality um, is... I think fans will decide if you can say our hope is that fans yeah, he become didn't say more that. invested. But I don't think you get to decide what fans are going to become more invested in, especially Star Trek fans. Let's yeah, face that right now. A little, little picky and specific, don't we? Uh, Just a wee bit. Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, I'm... Uh, 
I'm, I, I'm looking at the pictures now, and, and I don't like it. But then again, uh, you know, the timeline, uh, the evolution was explained as being caused by genetic engineering in order to create more powerful and ruthless warriors. Hmm. Um, except, have you met my friend, Worf? <laughs> yeah. According to the explanation, it seems that various Klingon appearances and houses are somewhat akin to Earthlings and various races. I don't know. Not yeah, it, any time previously, but okay. Yeah, exactly. We've, we've instituted a new rule and we're living with that. Uh, Discovery is set to debut on September 24th. That will be the fourth time it's been moved. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so September 24th is indeed a fluid date, uh, but I'm hoping for the sake of our buddy Doug Jones that it does well, but the paywall doesn't. Uh, and it's interesting because they're defending the paywall in the same way that they say, well, you know, you pay for Netflix. Yeah, I pay for Netflix because I get a lot for it. Right, and with CBS All Access, what are you getting? The same well, reruns. Well, CBS is wide variety of quality entertainment properties, or I something. Suppose. And if that's what you want, then you'll be going to that paywall and knocking on it and says, "Please, sir, may I have another?" Or maybe not. That's and, still It's an experiment. They don't know if it's going to work or not. Uh, you know what? It's not. I'll tell you right now, it's not. No. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's not going to work. Guys? We already this. know. We can tell you. <laughs> not working. Hire Java now because he knows it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. Um. No. Hey, the coolest and probably the last thing we want to talk about tonight is, uh, well, I, I wanted to talk about Kermit, but I'm not going to. I, no, I can't even with that. I know. I know. I can't deal with it at all. But we're still going to talk about Disney a little bit. Uh, Disney has given its first look at Star Wars Land which is the D23 Expo in California. Uh, and, and it's going to be open in 2019 at Disneyland in Anaheim and at Disney's Hollywood in Orlando. Uh, oh, and, and I'm going to provide uh, uh, a link to some pictures and some promotional videos. And oh my God, it is... Um, almost impossible to explain. <laughs> well, it's pretty wow. cool. Let's, let's let's try. Um, Go ahead. First, being, it's going to be an interactive hotel, an immersive oh, interactive story at the hotel. Right? Are we wow. talking about the same thing? Yes. We are. We, we are, are absolutely, yes. They're going to provide you upon check-in with a backstory and a costume and you're going to be part of that person. Yeah. You're going to be part of the story for your entire stay. I like the amount of work they must be putting into this is ridiculous. It's wonderfully ridiculous. There's no question about it. Um, but it's a it's a it's a progression that makes sense because that's exactly what Harry Potter world is. <clears throat> you walk into Harry Potter world and you become a character, whether or not you are wearing a costume or not. You become a character in that place, and right. you know in their. Hogsmeade Village, they, they introduce the ones that make interact with the world around you. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, this isn't 
everybody at the park, but if you are staying at the park, you do this. Is that right? I believe I so. Yeah. I didn't read it that carefully because there will be it, people there who are not doing that. Yeah. It's, it's one hotel that's going to be, um, interactive and immersive and you yeah, can choose the to stay there and play a character and become a character in the world. Um, one of the Imagineering directors uh, was quoted as saying, as you move through certain areas, you might be recruited to join the rebels or the Alliance. Are you a spy? Are you part of the resistance or willing to join the first order? It's up to you and your role inside of that will be defined by how you choose. So yeah, it's there's a basically lot of a giant um, RPG like that Disney has built for us with more complex and accurate costumes than most RPGers could hope to afford. Although, let's face it, some RPGers have made amazing costumes. I'm not going to Let's let's make a distinction, guys. This is LARPing. That's true. Totally. Sorry. This is this LARPing. This is LARPing. This is LARPing that is being supported by the owners of the franchise. And whatever you may feel about Disney owning this franchise, like they basically said, you know what fans of this are gonna want? They're going to want really good LARPing. They're going to want, like, the best LARPing in the world. And let's face it, Disney can provide that. Disney, in one way or another, has continued to provide that for an awful long time. Exactly. They've got the money. They've got, you know, their team of geniuses who can do just about any special effects in the world. And everything at Disney is sparkly and covered in twinkle lights. And I cannot wait to do this. <laughs> it's one of those things we're going to have to go see and, and be and do. Then there's no question about it. Yeah. Oh, it's, God. It's probably going to be, you know, one of those experiences. Because I don't know. The, the only time I've ever been to Disneyland we went to California. I was like 14 years old, 15 years old. I was still completely drawn in. Oh yeah. You, you know, the so, only time so, I've ever been to, I went to Disney world when I was 14 and completely sucked in by the whole thing. It's a willing full, willing engagement with imagination. And, and that sounds like really, great marketing speak but it's absolutely it true because you pay for it you pay for it let's oh, make yes. no mistake yep. here it's not there's nothing value based about disneyland or disney world um nope. unless you value more than anything else the experience and and really that's kind of the what they're banking on that, that they can market that experience to people and i think it's gonna work admirably and i'm I'm excited about it. We'll see. We'll see how it actually ends up working in real life. Yeah. Um, see, I feel like it, they're going to do a good job. My question is whether everybody who goes is going to participate to the level that's required for an immersive experience. Does that make sense? Well, like, yes and no. Because the D D Disney has such strict control, the way they create a lot of their experiences, they have really strict control over their actors, over, you know, the people who play characters and how characters are played. And you get everyday people off the street. That's what would worry me, is that well, they've... I they plan things so meticulously and this has got so many open ends. I don't know though. I don't, I don't know because you, I think about the, the, the 
hundreds of videos on YouTube of people interacting and actively, willingly trying to mess up the way that things are supposed to go at Disneyland. And, and the people there are immaculately trained. They're, they're wonderful people. They are dedicated. Uh, some vague relation of mine was a lifelong employee at Disneyland. Uh, she was Tinkerbell back in the seventies and you know, she's still posts about her time there. Like it was the most magical thing that ever happened to her. And I think that that's true, you know? So, so I, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see. I mean, are, what, what happens when you have a, a person who comes into the park and says, I'm going to be new order. And then they put on their Nazi uniform and then they, you know, go around shooting kids in the head <laughs> with a blaster. Like, what are they going to yeah. do? Like, what are they- what are they going to do? Well, um, I think that they'll, that I think that that's probably been dealt with because Disney, yeah. you know, Disney does a really thorough job of figuring out how they respond to things. And oh, I'm they sure have they've tons. had test people in where they were like, okay, ruin this. Right. And then they have tons and tons of lawyers, yeah. like more lawyers. That than they anybody. do have. <laughs> and I'm guessing the price point for this is going to be such that it's going to be pretty self-selecting. And if you're willing to pay as much as I'm sure they're going to charge to be a part of the immersive interactive experience, I think you're not going to want to screw it up because you've paid however much. A significant amount of money for it, yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing something like thousands of dollars. I, I would think, yeah, a week stay for a family of four would be very much like that, yeah. Oh, I was thinking doubt. like per person. Because you know this is going to be like big nerds our age. For like, <laughs> like anyone. See, because I was actually going to su- I was actually going to suggest that, you know, we take a podcast field trip down there when it opens. My question is, do they have to get, like, clothing sizes and measurements and stuff ahead of time so that your costume fits? No clue. And is it, like, bridal dress shops that tell you you can't lose or gain weight after a certain point or they can't guarantee (laughs) that your dress is going to fit? Because I definitely signed something like that when I got my wedding dress altered. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's there's a whole lot of questions that uh, over the next two years we're going to need to get answered. And I'm certainly looking forward to them. Uh, yeah. Hey guys, it's 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 been an interesting night, and uh, thank you all for joining us. Hey, Kriana. Kriana. I was going to ask her if she knew who was going to be on the show next week. Hi. Nope. Nobody knows because it hasn't been posted yet. All we do know is that on August 26th, Colby Elliott will be joining us to discuss the the world of audiobook producing, which is, in fact, what he does. So, Colby, we're looking forward to that. Can you hear me? And booking. Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, okay. Now you can. Okay. Now we can. (laughs) All right. You found the guy? I'm sorry? Nothing. Carry on. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of GraniteCom, Northeast Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. Visit Comic Art House for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you have a free moment, take a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. And look forward to more interviews with writers from my peculiar family too. Our intro music production was <clears throat> excuse me, provided by Rob Watts. Find more of his creations at robwattsonline.com. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out their grooves at lawrencemademecry.com. Many thanks to the gang for joining us tonight from the Peabody Time Temple. This part of the soundboard piano. Thank you, dear. You're welcome. And somebody else there. Oh, yes. It's Zombrarian. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, darling. Have a good night. You know, if there was ever a thunderstorm, I would be thanking Java for it. <laughs> <laughs>
meanwhile, thanks anyway, Java. <laughs> this is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. I know.